Welcome to Cardboard Conjecture. We're a podcast about board games where we have opinions and conclusions formed on the basis of incomplete information. This episode of Cardboard Conjecture is brought to you by these great Saskatoon businesses. Amazing Stories Comics on 8th Street, Dragon's Den Games on 8th Street, and Breakout Escape Rooms on Faithful Avenue. Hey there, how's it going, eh? This is What You've Been Playing Wednesday, and this is a special weekly episode where a bunch of us content creators come together and talk about what we've been playing recently. And on this episode are Board and Game, Mozart Games, Board on the Air, Dice and Dragons, The Meeple Dungeon, The Cardboard Kid, Meeple and the Moose, The Tabletop Bellhop, The Bridge City Board Gamers Community, and Cardboard Conjecture. And as always, please take the time to check out the show notes to the links to the What You've Been Playing Wednesday cast. And here we go. Enjoy. Hi, this is Andrew Buckles of BoardingGame.com, and I'm here to talk about what I've been playing this week. This week, I'm going to talk about Three Sisters. Three Sisters is a 2022 release from Motor City Gameworks. It's designed by Ben Pinchback and Matt Riddle, with illustration from Marley Sperenz and Beth Sobel, graphic design by Chris Kirkman, and editing from Dustin Schwartz. Regular listeners to this podcast may have already heard of Free Sisters, as I talked about it way back in What You've Been Playing Wednesday number 10, the last March, back when the game was going to Kickstarter. Matt Riddle, one of the game's two designers, also recently did an interview on Cardboard Conjecture number 125. But I figured that this was a good time to talk about Free Sisters again, considering that designers Matt Riddle and Ben Pinchback currently have another game on Kickstarter, co-designed with Adam Hill, the third part of Motor City Gameworks. That game is called Motor City, and is on Kickstarter through this Thursday. That's March 31st, 2022, but if you're listening to this after that, there will probably still be ways to pick it up eventually. Free Sisters, for example, has had a successful retail release with 25th Century Games. And let's get back to talking about Free Sisters, because there are plenty of interesting things to discuss with it. Free Sisters is a game about gardening, or specifically about companion planting, planting certain mutually beneficial crops together. In this case, that's corn, beans, and pumpkins. This practice dates back thousands of years to indigenous people in North America, and there's quite an interesting section on its history in the rulebook. I also applaud the designers for working with a couple of cultural consultants here from various indigenous groups to make sure that this theme was applied respectfully. Free Sisters is a roll-and-write game, and it's a very combo-heavy roll-and-write game. That makes sense, considering that Riddle and Pinchback, among their many other games, designed Fleet the Dice game. And Free Sisters carries over a fair bit from Fleet the Dice game, including the importance of those combos, the ability to focus on different strategies, and the importance of selecting the right die at the right time. But Free Sisters has its own things going for it. One that I think is interesting is the way that the dice are placed each round. The active player is going to roll the dice, and then they're going to place them out around a rondelle. 
The way that you place dice is quite interesting. You're going to group them by like values, so all your ones get grouped together. Then if your next set of values is twos, you would group those, or if it's a three, you would group that. You place each value one space at a time. So the lowest value you roll goes on the space where the farmer Edith pawn is. Then the next lowest value goes on the next space, and so on. This grouping by values is quite similar to how Yeespahan does it, or the re-implementation Corinth the Dice game, but there's an interesting little twist here in that the actions aren't always the same each time because of how the farmer Edith Pawn moves around this rondelle. In Yeespahan, the order of the spaces doesn't change. The lowest always goes on the camels, the highest always goes on the gold, and there are chances that the second highest space might not be filled, depending on how close your groupings of dice are. That doesn't happen in Free Sisters because what the lowest space is changes from round to round. So in clockwise order, each player is going to select a die, and they're going to do two things with it. One is the action on the rondelle, which can be things like crossing off spaces in the shed, taking compost, which lets you modify die rolls, and goods, which lets you get bonus actions, working on your apiary with your bees to try and get some bonus actions that way, working on fruit, or just improving your garden. Regardless of what action you take from the rondelle space, you're also then going to take an action in your garden of either planting or watering, and the section of your garden that you're working in is determined by the value of the die. In your garden, you can either plant new crops, or you can water the already existing crops, bringing them closer to harvest. As you start the game, you have lots of options for crops in each area, but as the game goes on, you're a little more restricted, and that's where the compost that you collect becomes very important for modifying the die rolls. It's a fascinating combo-heavy game where there are a lot of great things to do and not enough time or dice to do them. It also comes with a very good solo mode. And I have to say that the production copy of this that I got from backing it on Kickstarter is really impressive. The dice are beautiful and even have pumpkins for the ones. There's a perfect little tractor meeple even that you can use for Farmer Edith or the regular meeple for her. And there's a couple of other cool things that they have thrown in here, including a mini weather expansion. If you like combo-heavy roll and rights, Free Sisters is definitely worth checking out and I think that Motor City is going to be so as well. It's very cool to see Motor City Gameworks continuing to innovate on these heavier roll and rights. I'm Andrew Buckholtz, and you can find me on Twitter at Andrew Buckholtz, B-U-C-H-O-L-T-Z. You can also find my board game writing at boardandgame.com. Thanks for listening. Hello, everybody. This is Chris Morris from Mozart Games, and I am thrilled to be back again on What You've Been Playing Wednesday this week. If you want to give me a follow on Twitter, you can find me there as SpiderMo. That's Spider with a Y. I'll often post pics of games that I've been playing, some of my ongoing challenges as a designer, and a few rants and raves along the way. Now, this week, I want to talk about a quick little game called Lama Dice by Reiner Nitzia and published last year by Amigospiel. 
This is a quick filler game and is based on the card game called Llama, also by The Good Doctor. It can be played with two to six players within about 20 to 30 minutes, but I find the sweet spot is definitely with four to six players. Llama Dice is a push-your-luck style game where you are trying to get rid of all of the cards from your hand each round. The cards will each have a number from one to six or a llama on them, and players are dealt six cards no matter how many players that there are. At the center of the table, there will also be one of each card laid out, including the llama card. There are three dice included in the game, and each one will have two llamas on them, and then the numbers one through six distributed on them as well. There's also a bunch of scoring tokens included in the small box. Now, players will take turns rolling dice on their turn, and if the dice match with any of the cards that you have in your hand, you can discard one for each die that matches. If, however, none of the cards match what you have in your hand, you must pick up one of the cards with a matching number from the middle of the table, adding it to your hand. If none of the dice match, either anything in your hand or anything in the middle of the table, then that player must pick up all of the remaining cards from the table, and the round immediately ends. Players will then total up all of the cards in their hand that remain, scoring points shown on the cards, and scoring 10 points if they have a llama. You only score each card number once, so if you happen to have three llamas, you'll still only score 10 points for all of them. The game continues to a new round unless one player has amassed 40 points, in which case the game ends and that player, unfortunately, loses the game. Now on a player's turn, instead of rolling the dice, they can choose to drop out of the round and they will score whatever they have left in their hand at the end. It can sometimes be beneficial to do that if you have a few cards left in your hand with the same number, or if you have low scoring cards remaining, or if the center market is getting low and you don't want to risk picking anything up. Also, if you ever roll three llamas on the dice, then you're actually able to discard one of your point tokens, reducing your score. You're also able to discard a token if you happen to get rid of all of the cards that are in your hand. Also, you can discard any one of your tokens, so you could drop by 10 points by doing so, majorly reducing your score. Now, it is super frustrating to be sitting at 9 points and having to drop a single point, while your neighbor ends up doing the same thing and loses 10 points, suddenly falling behind you in the scoring. But that's one of the things that makes this game so great. It is stupid fun. And I mean that in a very good way. Llama Dice is way more fun than it has any right to be. Laughs are always heard at the table with someone's misfortune. There's something to be said with holding a four, five, six Llama in your hand and then rolling two twos and a three and having to grab yet another card to add to your hand, all the while seeing your neighbors lose cards on their turns. Llama Dice is fast and furious and turns move quickly. I've played game after game of it at, in an evening with friends, and we always have a wonderful time and have never grown tired of it. It's a great way to kill a little bit of time while waiting for others to arrive, or to end off the night when there might not be enough time to play something heavier or longer. Because each die has four numbers and two llamas on them, sometimes it can be beneficial to grab a llama card from the center if the option is there. But if you can't get rid of it, you're, you're going to end up losing 10 points at the end of the round. Each time I get dealt my cards and I have three of the same card, I always know it's going to be a rough round, as you have less chances to match your dice each turn. And if someone gets lucky and drops three cards on their first roll, you know you're going to have a poor scoring round. But it's so quick, it never bothers me that much. You just have to shrug it off and hope for a better hand next round. 
During the course of the game, things will tend to even out for everyone, but inevitably, there's going to be that one person who just happens to score two or three points every round while you're grabbing 12 points. Now, if you're looking for a quick little filler, Lama Dice is a wonderful game to pick up. It may not be an earth-shattering game, but sometimes you just need 20 minutes of fun, and this fits the bill perfectly for that. Plus, anything that includes some dorky-looking llamas is better in my book anyway. Thanks for listening to my thoughts on Lama Dice this week. Once again, I am Chris Morris from Mozart Games, and may all of your dice rolls be critical successes. Hi, I'm David. And I'm Jordan. And we are Bored in the Air, and this is What Have You Been Playing? A weekly podcast of Canadian content creators who talk about games they've played recently. Jordan, what are we talking about tonight? Tonight we are talking about Lords of Hellas. It is a dudes on a map game, which has some nice twists to make it more friendly to people who aren't all for beating everyone into the ground to win. So in the game, your goal is to win through one of four victory conditions. Either A, defeat three monsters that are wandering around the map causing havoc. Two, control two separate regions. Nope, sorry, not regions. That's the single ter- territories. Three, control a giant god statue that's been fully built for three turns. Then four is to control five Shrines. Temples. Temples, that's what they're called. Each you are your own hero, so like you can be uh, Heracles, Odysseus, uh, I was Helen last time, Perseus. Then there's even more in the expansion, but we haven't played with that yet. Uh, and it's neat, because all your actions are, you can move your guys as much as you have your little hoplites, you can move as many hoplites as your hero's leadership. They can all move one space. Your hero then can move however far their distance they can move is. Their speed. Their speed. And then you can activate any artifacts you've collected in front of you. You can do... There's a fourth action you can do in your main phase, right? Oh, send a priest to... Yeah, pray. You can pray. And then you can do one of six or seven special actions which can only be done once until someone builds a monument up. Another level of the monument. Yeah. Yeah, and, the, and those are different things like uh, march, where you take a whole army and move them across. Uh, you can prepare, where you do one or two of three things, or... Two of one thing. Two of one thing, Uh Hunt, fight Hunt, the monsters. where you fight a monster. You can... Build the shrine. Build a shrine. And... There's march, build a shrine, usurp, which is... Yeah. Where you kick someone out of the territory if you have the honor token for it. Yep. And... Da, 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 da. That's a... Recruit. A That's... recruit. You can add two people to each of your cities. Uh, you have hoplites, which is your army. Uh... And they're running around fighting each other. Yeah. Uh, if they move into a territory with another hoplite, you start a battle. Uh, in a battle, each hoplite is worth one. 
and then you distinguish it with combat cards. And or, or if they're in cities. Or in cities, give them an extra bonus for defense. Uh, it's it's a neat little game, or big game, I guess. Yeah, it's not little. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's Awakened Realms. It's one of their first big Kickstarters. Uh, miniatures are beautiful. The fact that you're, you have three shrines that you're building to Zeus, Athena, and Hermes, right? Yeah, Hermes is the last one. Yeah. And there's the base level, and then, you know, you're putting four pieces on it, and they all snap together real cool. Some of them better than others, of course. Yeah. But they all all have very nice detail. Your heroes have very nice detail. And the monsters are. And, and the monsters are gorgeous. The hoplites are basic, but everybody has their own... Unique hoplites. Unique hoplites. I, I like the fact that it's in space, so all the guys are, like, mechanical instead of being... Like, yeah, it's more of a steampunky look. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just got the Warlord box. A friend was selling it, and picked that up. That had all the Kickstarter editions, or a bunch of the Kickstarter editions. There's still two expansions that I don't have. Uh, there is a lot of content for this. Uh, the new Kickstarter was not that long ago, which was uh, Lords of Ragnarok. Yeah, where you bring in the Norse gods. It's a different game, not an expansion. Uh, it's not an expansion. No, it's it, it's its own standalone game. Uh, they've changed the combat. They've changed the way the game works, but it's still rooted yeah. in it's, Lords of Hellas. It's rooted. It's rooted in Lords of Hellas, and they say they streamline it. Yeah, uh, I am not a dudes in the map on the map fighter type player, but I like that there's four ways to win. And not all of them deal with attacking, you know, the other people at the table. I, I'm not that negative feedback person. I, I'm not that direct confi- conflict person. I like my Euros. Uh, and, and this has a Euro element to it. Yeah, where you're r- running around with your hero punching all the monsters. Yeah, you know, it's, I, I actually won the game. Uh, I got I defeated three monsters. I had a good engine going where I had a bunch of combat cards when I would attack a monster and it uh it, it helped right yeah it was very tight at the end though because yeah. all of us were right there yeah everybody was getting close uh we had one uh, statue that was basically going to be built in the next round yep and I was one away from finishing two re- territories yep and then Adam I think we just beat up on <laughs> he got sandwiched <laughs> between the, between us a bit and I went ham hammered the conflict at the end yeah it's like most of these games with with multiple paths to victory you don't try to win all four ways you're focusing on one right and i don't think he had the direction that we went after well yeah but that's also first time playing you first time you're playing you're like you sort of split up a little bit more so than you think you should yeah and i think we played it more recently than he had yeah uh, that's Lords of Hellas. I'm David. And I'm Jordan. And we will talk to you next week.
What up, gamers? I'm Jason. I'm Julie, and together we're Dyson Dragons. And you can find us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram at Dyson Dragons, and on Twitter at Dyson Dragon. And what is it today, Julie? It's What You've Been Playing Wednesdays! And unfortunately, we didn't get much played, but we did get the tutorial in for Massive Darkness 2 by Simon Games, uh, designed by Alex Oltianu and Marco Portugal. I almost got those confused because it's different designers than the original game. Yeah, so unfortunately we had um, a couple of sick people in the house over the last week, uh, so limited the game time a little bit, but we did get this game to the table and uh, the tutorial is very, very easy. Which is ironic because in the original Massive Darkness game, the tutorial could be very, very hard. So I played that one. Julie's only played it once. I played it a few times. Uh, they definitely did modify the rule set a little bit. I would say that the core of Massive Darkness 2 is largely the same as the original game. But just what I've seen and what we experienced in the, in the tutorial is a lot of balancing was done uh, just so that you don't get absurdly overpowered uh, enemies which is what happened in the tutorial. Actually, if you go back and watch the uh, our Massive Darkness review and playthrough, you'll watch me get brutally murdered by the game system and see how all of a sudden things can go incredibly awful. You just draw a treasure and it would go on to an enemy and all of a sudden they have four defensive dice. Yeah, and that being said though, it could have been much more difficult. I mean, we picked the, I, I think we ended up, we didn't pick, we got, we, uh, were dealt the easiest of the hordes, uh, and we also rolled like beasts. So, I mean, it does make it easier at that point. Um, but I'm, I mean, I'm looking forward to being able to play uh, to play more of it. Uh, it, uh, it the next uh, Jason set up uh, the the next mission. Would you call yeah, it the next scenario? Okay. We are currently not going through campaign mode. We've got enough campaigns on our plate. Luckily, Julie, just so you know. They've limited the campaign mode to only four or five missions for each campaign, meaning that if we want to get it played, well, it actually fits in something that we can easily get reviewed over the course of a week, which is pretty cool. Uh, so we will be checking those out in the near future. But yes, it's already set up on the table. Uh, I really do like the way the character classes play. They do feel very different. And I like the fact that you have... Uh, like a paladin class, but that can apply to a whole slew of different characters. Now in the core box, you only get one paladin. But if you do have some of the expansions, you've got other characters that can be paladins as well. So you do get a little bit of flavor and a little bit of difference to that class. Also, the starting skills are pretty cool as well. Yeah, well, I was going to talk about the rogue. Uh, so I, I played the, uh, the woman... Uh, as I normally do, I try to pick the female characters. And don't worry, there's a lot more female characters, just not in the core box. There's like a whole slew of them across all the cool expansions we got. Well, she's pretty cool. She does play differently um, as well. So it was, I thought, okay, this might be difficult to play, but uh, really, re really wasn't difficult. Uh, and I think it could be uh, could be interesting. Now, I guess it could also be very frustrating, depending, uh, because basically you pick her actions by picking them out of a bag. Uh, so they're pretty uh, arbitrary, but uh, it turned out well in this first game that we played. So we'll see how I like it uh, in a few games from now. Yeah, and I got to play the Ranger, and I got to say, the, I got really lucky with the Ranger, like scoring crits and just dealing a boatload of damage, really. But the character class was really fun to play, and I liked attacking from range, even though I'm often just running in and dealing damage. But I thought the arrow cards were pretty cool, as well as just the fact that you have... Uh, 
an ability as well. It was kind of fun lighting the enemy on fire and then watching them burn afterwards. And we also played with uh, my brother who was visiting, and he got the chance to play as the Paladin. And uh, he does game, so he's not a, a novice gamer, just doesn't play that often. And uh, I really liked what he said about the game in terms of the fact that there's a lot of little pieces going on, but what you're doing with each thing is fairly straightforward and simple, meaning that the game, even though it's, it looks overwhelming, is very accessible. And I don't really have any much more to add because we really only got a little taste, a little bite of the Massive Darkness too. Yeah, so we don't have a, you can't uh, listen to our view tomorrow because uh, it won't be coming out tomorrow. It'll be coming out probably next week. Uh, tomorrow though, if you want to check out uh, our video of the week, uh, we'll be talking about, uh, Jason and I each picked out our type 5 games uh, from our wall of opportunity or shame, however you want to look at it. Shelf. Shelf. Okay, I like calling it a wall. It's not an entire wall yet. <laughs> yet is the key word. <laughs> All right. And on that note, we're going to... Remind you to... Keep, keep playing, playing games. Hello, everybody. It's Rob and Anna-Marie from the Meeple Dungeon. Hello. And we are back again recording for the What You've Been Playing Wednesdays podcast. And this week we have two games to talk about. What's the first game, Anna-Marie? The first game is Patchwork, designed by Uwe Rosenberg, art by Clemens Franz, and published by Lookout Spiel and Mayfair Games. Yes, Patchwork, an absolute classic game um, from Uwe Rosenberg and... Yeah, this is one of the first games we um, yeah. played of his, I believe. Probably the first, I it would It might think. be the first. Yeah, I'm not, I don't really remember. That was back when we didn't really know who was who and what was what. Yeah, we but, were just having fun playing yeah, games. Um, <laughs> but Patchwork is a fantastic little two-player game about uh, quilting. Yeah. And buttons and thread and stuff. So how does this game work? Um, yeah, you can tell them, Anna-Marie. Yeah. <laughs> so... Um, the two-player game, you've each got a time token. You've got two boards. So you've got your, your quilt, which is blank when you start the game. Yep. And you've got kind of your time track, which is a, a nice, pretty quilt. And um, so you each put a time token on the time track quilt. Yep. Um, you have a bunch of... Um, the polyamino... Yeah, polyamino uh, pieces. Pieces, yep. And you take those and you put them at random in a circle... On your table. Around just, the uh, the time board. I yeah. yeah. It, you kind of have the time space. board in the middle, and then yeah, you put the big circle around it. Yeah. yeah. And so you're just um, you, yeah, you're just randomly putting them out. So you've got all these shapes, uh, these polyominoes in a, in a circle. They're nice cardboard um, pieces. And uh, and then, yeah, you've got uh, a bag of buttons. Those are going to be your income for yep. the game. Some of the, the polyominoes will have buttons on them some of yep. them won't um each each piece will also have a cost right so it'll be 10 buttons two buttons seven buttons yep. and uh it'll also have a time like a little time token it'll show you uh, how many spaces you have to move your pawn on yeah. the time track yeah. yeah so um you start with there's a the smallest uh polyomino it's a one by two <laughs> and you take your little there's a there's a 
a pawn. Yeah, a pawn that's just basically tracks, tracks. where you are in the circle. Yeah, yeah. And both players will use it. So the first player, they start it right beside that one by two. And then in a clockwise motion, they can move um, they can move up to three spaces. So up to three tiles ahead of them. Yeah. And they um, they'll decide, you know, like where to where to stop. They're they're gonna buy that tile. Yep. So you have a starting using amount your of, buttons. Yeah, yeah. Your buttons are your currency. Yeah. They're your currency. You have a starting amount of buttons. You just if you if you can do it, great. Um, you pay your button and then you take that tile and you place it on your empty quilt board. Mm-hmm. And so on that quilt board, as you're laying it out, it's kind of Tetrisy, yep. <laughs> very Tetrisy, extremely. And um, you can't overlap anything. They all have to fit together. So you're basically building this nice, pretty quilt with different designs and things like mm-hmm. that. And um, so, like in your turn, you can um, you can take and place a patch, or you can um, advance and receive buttons. So, right. if you didn't want to take a patch, because sometimes there are going to be patches that you a cannot fit mm-hmm. into your onto your quilt. You know, if it's later in the game, and you're like, I cannot fit this one anywhere, yep. Yep. or you. Um, or you can't afford it. Right. Like all the tiles, uh, the three tiles that are ahead of your ahead of the um, the little token pawn. there, the yep. pawn things, uh, they they're just too much money, and you can't afford it. So then you can move your um, time token on the quilt board. Right. And so when you move your time token on the quilt board, uh, you can let's say you were five spaces ahead of me. Mm-hmm. I can move it um, if I had money and I wanted to buy some, you know tiles i can move it however many spaces i want um and then it would be my turn again right like so it's you can go uh, it's going to be your turn until you get past your the next player so if you land if i landed on the same spot of the quilt on the time time quilt as you if i was on top of you then i would get i would still go again until i was ahead of you then it would be your turn right yep so so, you know, if I had if I had a bunch of buttons and I was like, oh, the next piece in there only costs two, I'm going to buy two and I move it up one and then I, you and then know. you're still behind, so you get to go again. I get to go yep. again, right? Yep. And and you move up however many time spots are on the tile that you picked you up. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So that's kind of how it goes. You're going to go around and around and around. On the board, there are some special patches you've got just um individual one by one squares that are placed in a, in about five different spots on the and they board they help you fill out yeah. the little missing bits in your uh if, your player board yeah. if you're the first person to pass that you get that square and it just you can lay it down wherever you want mm-hmm. they also have buttons there's the picture of the buttons on the on different spots on the board once you pass that um you get income so for every um picture of button you have on your tiles on your quilt board yep. you get that much for your income right so it's kind of you kind of want to maximize those because it's going to help you buy bigger tiles and and fill it up faster yeah um there's a special tile where the first person who gets a seven by seven quilt filled in um gets seven extra points i believe right. yep. and i and the whole board is uh is it eight by eight or ten by ten or something like that so yeah. i think it might be ten by ten so getting a seven by seven you know, you can yeah, work towards that. Yeah. yeah. And, but yeah, and then you just keep going around. The end of the game triggers 
when um, you pass. Nine by nine. Might be nine. Might be nine by nine. But it triggers when you pass the last uh, spot on the time track. Yep. And both both players need to pass it. Right. Because if you're lagging behind and they they go over the finish line, you get to keep going until you cross the finish line. Yeah. But the whole time, the circle is getting smaller and smaller and smaller because you've got uh, less and less tiles to choose from. And yeah. And this. it's so much fun. It's a great <laughs> two-player game. I think most people out there have played this at this yep. point. But if you haven't and you like two-player games, this one is awesome. Yeah, if you're and it's quick and it's easy and it's fun and it's very light, you know, light-hearted, light mechanically great game. It's fun for adults, it's fun for kids, it's great for, you know, spatial awareness for them trying to, yep. you know, figure out how, you know, the the polynomials fit together and you know, try it one That's way, great. then try it another way. Um, yeah, it's a fantastic game. I always have fun with it. it. It's one I can go back to and be like, this is a great game yeah. to just, it's a, let's go play it again. I'd wager you could call this an essential game. Like, if anyone out there has board game collection, you should probably have this in your collection. Yeah. Um, it's just that good, um, and it's so simple. It's yeah. Just, yeah. It's great. The other game that we've been playing is Boone Lake from Alexander Pfister and published by Capstone Games. But we aren't going to talk about that (laughs) on here because uh, we are going to be recording a full review of it this week. Um, So that's going to be on episode 30 of the Meeple Dungeon podcast. So you can catch it there later this week. We might probably record it on Friday or Saturday. So you could probably, by Sunday, you should be able to hear it. Okay, so... That's it for this week. We'll see you next week. Cheers. See ya. Hi, everyone. I'm the Cardboard Kid, and after a busy month of school, appointments, and preparing for YouTube channel's fifth anniversary giveaway, I'm back on what you've been playing Wednesday. Before I talk about the games, I'll be posting the giveaway rules on Twitter in a few days, so make sure you're following me at Cardboard underscore Kid. Cartographer is a storytelling card game that brings together a few unique elements, hand management, trading, and co-op. It's not going to be for non-creative types who panic when improvising, but there are enough prompts and flavor text in the cards that even my mom was able to come up with stories. This one surprised us. Fort is a deck and engine building card game with drafting and set collection and is super charming. The art and theme come together in an adorable way, yet the gameplay is clever. This is a fast playing game and we had a really good time with it. It is chaotic, so if you need to be in total control during your games, this isn't for you. We played Hidden Strike American Revolution four times in three days. It's a card-driven game set in the American Revolution and can be played numerous ways. I quite enjoy that you can play against another player in PvP or one versus many, or as a co-op against a bot. Not many games have this flexibility in terms of player modes. I've played CDGs before from being Shores of Tripoli and playing Fort Sumter in 1960, the making of a president when I was eight, I think. My review will be going up later this year. I'm going to be taking a break over the summer. But I call this a good introduction to CDGs, especially for families with preteens and teens interested in learning history. I still quite enjoy Paperback. I forgot how clever it was, especially the modules and expansions. It's more multiplayer solitaire than some other deck builders, including, if I'm remembering correctly, Hardback. Streets is a tile-length city builder that plays in about 45 minutes. Like Fort, it is next to no downtime, and it just zips along. Setup is easy, and we play this about half a dozen times in just a few days. It's not super deep like a Civilization game, but it's a clever little puzzle, and I like seeing how the cities develop each game. 
Villagers is made by the same designer and publisher Street, so it has the same clean look with excellent graphic design. It's an engine building draft game that also zips along in about 45 minutes. Weigh your options is very important and can be easy to make what you think is a good decision only to see that you could have taken slash played another card and scored even more. I like it. That's about all for now. If you want to see photos and updates on what I'm playing, follow me on Twitter at cardboard underscore kit. For video reviews, check out my YouTube channel, The Cardboard Kit. Please stay safe. Happy gaming! Hello, my name is Alex. I write board game reviews over at MeepleandTheMoose.com, and I'm here to talk about the games I played this week for What You've Been Playing Wednesdays. The first game I played this week was Umbravia by Connor Wake and published by Pandasaurus Games in 2021. Umbravia is a area majority and auction game that gives players the opportunity to bluff each other by having two rounds of bidding. In the first round, players will secretly draw three tokens from their bag and place them on a small track hidden behind their player's screen, indicating which of the four tiles they're committing their tokens to. Everyone reveals their bids, and then a second bidding round commences with everyone drawing three more tokens from the bag and committing them. After the second bidding round, all the tokens are put onto the tiles to which they were committed. The order the tiles will be put onto the board is determined by which tile has the least number of tokens on it, and then whoever has the most points on the tile is the player who gets to place that tile on the board. Once a tile is placed on the board, it may form a path. Um, all of their tiles have entrances and exits, and if ever a tile has no more entrances or exits, the path is completed, and you score the whole path. When you score the whole path, you count up how many tokens are on the board from each player, and whoever has the most tokens is the winner. That player earns one point or one token from the 11 that they set aside at the beginning of the game, and the first person to claim all 11 of those tokens is the winner. Umbravia is one of the rare area majority games in my collection. I'm not usually a big fan. I do like the two bidding rounds in this game, it gives players the opportunity to bluff and pivot towards uncontested tiles. Although in this week's game, I was outmaneuvered at every turn. Another aspect of Umbravia that I like is that I can lose every auction for tile placement, but my tokens are still going out onto the board. I'm often rewarded with constellation prizes simply for having any presences in a path. It helps ease the sting of losing all the tile placement bids. The rest of my friends were a little lukewarm on it, so we'll see if it sticks around. The next game we played was My City. Uh, we played games 21 and 22 of 24. We're into the end game chapters now and our village is prospering and we suddenly pivoted away from the industrial age of wanton resource gathering to prioritizing the beautification of our spaces. I won't say too much more for fear of spoiling the campaign, but I will say my whole game group has enjoyed playing through My City. It's light and easy to play, making it the perfect cap to our game nights. The ever-changing rules and mechanics coming in and out of the system satisfies my need for discovery. Luckily, none of us have dialed in how best to approach each game. The breakaway winner from a previous game is just as likely to lose the next one. My City has been a great experience for my gaming group, so much so that I bought an extra copy during Black Friday to play with my family. Now, imagine my surprise when they bounced off the ever-changing rules. They preferred for the game to stay the same every time. I suppose Legacy isn't for everybody. The last game I played this week is Baron Park by Phil Walker Harding. Baron Park is a polyomino tile placement game where players are tasked with building the best bear park. In Baron Park, players place tiles onto their park tiles and gain more tiles based on the icons they cover. The game ends when one player has filled every possible spot in their bear park. 
Baron Park is a bit of a race. Everything is sorted so that the first person to do something will get the most points. Um, all the enclosures that hold bears start at seven points and decrease down to one point. Likewise, all the statues that you can build start at 16 points and decrease all the way down to one point. So you're kind of rushing to get your tiles placed first. This race makes players choose between getting the most points for their action now or possibly passing on points to get a specific shape that may help them achieve their goals. It's the perfect push and pull for a light game. This week I introduced Baron Park to a couple of friends after realizing my other two default go-to games wouldn't work because one of the players was colorblind. Uh, my default games for introducing people to board games is 10 Days in Europe and Sagrada if you were wondering. In this game of Baron Park, I got pretty lucky as there were two specific shapes I needed to complete two of the public goals, and I was able to get them both, cementing my victory. I am endlessly intrigued by the expansion Bad News Bears, which includes monorails that sit above your park. Unfortunately, Baron Park doesn't really see enough play to warrant me buying the expansion. I'll leave it on my wishlist, and perhaps one day I'll be compelled to buy it. And that's all I played this week. Again, my name is Alex McKenzie. I write board game reviews over at MeepleInTheMoose.com. You can catch me on Twitter over at Moose Meeple, and I hope everyone has themselves a great week. Hello, and welcome to the Tabletop Bellhop segment of What You've Been Playing Wednesday. I am Mo Tuzano at the Tabletop Bellhop, your cardboard concierge, answering your gaming and game night questions and striving to make everyone's gaming experience better. If you've got a gaming or game night question for me, send it to questions at tabletopbellhop.com, visit our webpage and click on Ask the Bellhop, or hit me up on social media where I can be found everywhere as Tabletop Bellhop, one word. Now, the question I'm answering today is what you've been playing this past week, which compared to last week is going to be much shorter this week. Now, I've only got two games to talk about, starting with some spoiler free comments on The Goonies Escape with One-Eyed Willie's Rich Stuff, a Coded Chronicles game, the board game I own with the longest name. Now, this Goonies game is the third Coded Chronicles game, which is a series of cooperative escape room in a box style games that use a really brilliant system where each character has a skill they can use that is assigned a number. During the game, you'll reveal maps, items, etc. with other numbers on them. To do a thing, you combine the skill number with that other number, then look it up in one of the character books. It's a really brilliant system that we've enjoyed over all three games. Now, as for the Goonies version, we're currently on chapter two of three of the game, taking things slow because we're playing with our kids. So far, it's extremely well done and features the most characters and thus the most different ways to interact with things that we've seen in a Coded Chronicles game so far. To add to the fun, this particular version really seems to encourage experimentation and trying all of the different character skills with all of the different rooms and objects, which has been a lot of fun. Now, the story, of course, is very closely tied to the movie and follows the plot pretty much exactly with a few extra rooms and puzzles thrown in that fit between the scenes of the movie. Now, it is worth noting, you don't have to know the movie well or really know the movie at all, though I'm sure, I'm not sure who would be picking up a Goonies game that has, wasn't already a fan of the show, but you don't need to know anything in the movie and it's not r worth rushing out to rewatch it before playing the game so you don't miss anything. Now, we've still got one more chapter to go before we finish The Goonies, Escape with One-Eyed Willie's Rich Stuff, which should happen this weekend. We've got a game night planned for Sunday. So you can expect a full review on our live show next Wednesday, and of course, a short summary here. 
Now, the other game I got to the table last week was a pre-release copy of Founders of Teotihuacan. Thanks, Board and Dice, for sending us that to check out. Now, this is a standalone Teotihuacan game that shares the same theme of the original, but is a much lighter, quicker game. Not to say it's super light, but compared to the big, massive T game, it is significantly easier. This is a tile lane game that plays one to four players in about an hour. It features a very cool worker placement action selection system that also feels a bit like an auction where you're going to place one to three of your discs on a spot and then the power of that action is based on how many total discs are there including you and your opponents. I really like this aspect of the game and would actually love to see other games adopting this mechanic and using it in new ways. I think there's like a whole fresh place to explore here. Now, using this mechanic, you're going to be building production buildings which produce resource cubes. You're going to be erecting temples that cost those resources to build. You're going to be gaining the favor of the gods. You're going to turn in those favors. You're also collecting masks and, of course, building a central pyramid. All things that people will recognize from the original Teotihuacan. Now, so far, we've only got one game in, and I really enjoyed that play. I don't want to say any more now until I've gotten in some more plays, which I am really looking forward to. I can't wait to explore founders of Teotihuacan even more in the coming weeks. Well, that's it for my physical gameplays this week. I've, of course, been very active on Board Game Arena as well, but I think most people listening want to hear about the physical at-the-table game, so I'm just going to stop now. Now, I am looking forward to listening to what the other contributors have to say when this goes live. I know I didn't have much to talk about this week, but hopefully they got in more gaming than I did. Before I go, a reminder to visit TabletopBellhop.com. Join us Wednesday nights on Twitch at 9 p.m. Eastern, where we record the Tabletop Bellhop Gaming Podcast, which you can find on your podcatcher of choice if you can't join us live. I also invite you to join us at 1 p.m. Sundays on YouTube for Sunday Brunch with the Bellhop. That's a much more loosey-goosey, unscripted show where me, Sean, and Deanna just hang out and talk games and geekery. For the Tabletop Bellhop Gaming Podcast, I am Mo Tuzano, the Tabletop Bellhop. Good day and game on. Hey there, Norm here from the Cardboard Conjecture Podcast and Bridge City Board Gamers here in Saskatoon. And as typical, let's go see what the Bridge City Board Gamers community has been playing. Uh, let's start off with Jason. Jason played Box One last night. Excellent experience. It's like a solo escape room. Cool. Cool. I've not heard it at all. So, uh, yeah, I've got nothing much to say on it. Scott, not much this week due to illness. Oh, that's too bad. But uh, let's see here. Did get in a game of Marvel Champions last night against Hella as part of our ongoing run through the Mad Titans Shadow Campaign, and a couple of async games of Azul and Castles of Burgundy on Board Game Arena. So, well, you got, I mean, you got some gaming in there. That's all right. Ash, uh, Azul Summer Pavilions, and welcome to the dungeon. Nice, both fun games. Awesome. Welcome to the dungeon, um, Dice Chucker. Uh, Armand, Wingspan on Steam. Uh, wing, <laughs> I think Wingspan is also on uh, on Nintendo Switch, so that, that game's getting all over the place. Nice. Jeff, a decent week of gaming, lots of solo champions, and Hadrian's Wall tried out the new Isle of Cats expansions, some Curious Cargo, Dune Imperium, and a few others. 
Nice, 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 nice. Those are a lot of... Uh, Hadrian's Wall, I've yet to try that one. And uh, Dave from uh, uh, Board on the Air tells me it is uh, spreadsheet the game. No, <laughs> it's, uh, it's got this cascading feature that I like. So, cool. Eli, cartographers with some of the alternate maps. Um, uh, Empires of the North and Terraforming Mars. Ares Expedition. You know, I have to try Ares Expedition. I used to own, I had the first edition of Terraforming Mars and uh, played it. It didn't click with, I appreciated it, but it didn't click with me, so I sold it. And uh, um, I much prefer if it comes to engine builders, and this is my own opinion, it's, it's conjecture. <laughs> um, uh, I much prefer underwater cities when it comes to that whole city building engine thing, kind of. So, but that's just me, right? Um, Lane played Gloomhaven three times. Wow, that's like a weekend. <laughs> Heroes of Land, Air, and Sea. Uh, Mythalix, bring out your bring out your dead. Um, zombie kids and signed up for ToonCon. Yes, ToonCon is Saskatoon. Um, it's the board gaming uh, convention in Saskatoon. Therefore, ToonCon. It's uh, coming up April 9th, or first week in April kind of thing, so uh, check out their website. Drake, Stardew Valley board game, Pandemic and Gloom. Uh, I've heard a lot about Stardew Valley. I believe it was an app to begin with and then went to board game, and a lot of people are buying it up, so right on. Uh, Hans, Terraforming Mars. Terraform <laughs> and then again, Terraforming Mars, but Ares Expedition. Uh, Archaeology, St. Mallow. Uh, Hallertau, Maracaibo, and Euphoria. Oh, wow. What a fantastic lineup. Hallertau, I've got to try that. I like my Rosenberg, and I've yet to try Hallertau, so right on. Matt, uh, March has been good to me so far. That sounds like an like Eagles uh, lyric. <laughs> uh, playing some games with some uh, uh, meat on the bones. Recent plays. Uh, Dwellings of Eldervale, uh, Tekenu, Epic Double Map Railroad, Railways of the World. Ooh, I think he's talking about the, the U.S. East and West maps, which I have, and I've not played the Epic version. And uh, Coimbra. So, yeah, yeah, those are some, uh, those are some heavier-esque titles. Well done. Well done. Travis, not much board gaming lately, but played a game of Lahav last night. Yay. Um, uh, played it uh, once years ago and played it again. Liked it back then and still like it. Like it much better than Agricola. Might like it more than Caverna, but I think A Feast for Odin is still the Uwe game for me. I've, you know what? I can't comment on that because uh, I haven't played A Feast for Odin, but I will say that Le Havre is, I think, still in my top three like games ever or top five. It, I, yeah, there you go. I mean... There's my opinion. Uh, Dan, uh, my table top game club. I ran a, a weekly club after school on Tuesdays. We played Between Two Cities, which is a great game to have at a, at a school game club. And uh, Sushi Go Party and Sumner's Wars. Um, so, okay, so the first one, uh, uh, Between Two Cities, great kind of, uh, not cooperative, but collaborative uh, game that uh, that kids can learn how to collaborate and then sushi go well you know that's a your, your car drafting and then the opposite of collaboration is uh one versus one Sumner's wars so a nice a nice kind of 
breadth of games. Uh, Tim, I see Tim uh, on the table has five tribes, which is, uh, I love that game. Uh, the beginning of the game when you, when you populate uh, the tile grid system in front of you with meeples, because each tile has a whole bunch of meeples that have different colors. Um, it's my favorite. My brain loves that Jackson Pollock puzzle in front of me of colors. And uh, yeah, just kind of you drop into the beautiful mind mode and try to, you know, have the, the have that have that those choices not <laughs> not uh, paralyze your frontal lobe area. <laughs> uh, Marianne played. Let's see. Okie dokie. I've not heard of this. This looks so cool. It's a card game uh, laid out in a grid system with numbers and a color pattern. And uh, I'm, I'm guessing I see animals playing instruments. So, uh, and it's a, uh, yeah, it's so cool. I'm, you know what? This is, <laughs> this is the good thing and the bad thing of, of, uh, of, of reading through this is that um, I have to start putting extra games on my list of games that I have to get games. So uh, there's another one on the list. Um, Jonathan, one of my favorite card games, Arboretum. Yes, that is, pick up two cards, play one to your tableau, discard is the most difficult thing to do in that game. <laughs> Those who have played it know exactly what I'm talking about. Lost Ruins of Arnak with Expansion, King Domino, and Nova Luna. Um, Ruins of Arnak, yeah. I, you know, that's such a good game. I don't play it. Like, there's certain people that will play a game and then play it like 10 times or 8 times or just, you know, love it to bits kind of thing and then get bored of it. Um, I, I, I have so many games that I don't have that ability, so... Um, I'm always happy to come back to a game like Runes of Arnak. And I'm thinking Dune Imperium. I'm looking at you right now. I need to play that one again. Uh, John played National Pro Hockey, which he talked about when he was on the episode. Uh, again, a pitch to ToonCon um, coming up soon. And uh, yes, so National Pro Hockey. Old. That's an old title. That's, that's back from the 80s, eh? Where we had shoulder pads in most of our clothes. <laughs> and we weren't playing hockey. <laughs> uh, well, there you go. That's what the board, uh, the board, Bridge City Board Gamers community has been playing. And uh, I'll quickly, because this is a, this is getting to be a, a hefty episode, uh, I'll quickly uh, mention that I played Zulkin, the first in the T-Series game. And uh, man, um, I, I now understand. My brain loved that game, by the way. Um, and if you don't know what the game is, it's basically... Uh, Mayan culture, um, and of course the Mayan calendar, and the how the mechanism in this game relates to the theme is so clever. Because now again, I'd have to go back and look at my uh, being a history social studies teacher, uh, the relevance of the the cogs or dials um, in the in the culture, but the the relevance of of tablets and and. Um, the concept of time and motion was well established in the Mayan culture, and it comes across so so cleverly done uh, with the main center uh, cog, which around it rotates five smaller cogs, and these small uh, five smaller cogs represent um, kind of subdivisions of the mechanisms uh, where you can get some corn, where you can get some resources, where you can get buildings, where you, you know so on so forth, where you can trade corn to other things. I didn't do that one much because um, this being my first game and the other three players at the table, this was uh, the gamer's garage last week. I didn't put any pictures on Twitter. I'm so sorry. 
Um, but Gamers Garage, uh, the, the three others, Dave, Jordan, and Jeff uh, from Amazing Stories, uh, they all have like played this a ton. And of course, this is one of those games where I just got so fatigued by everybody going, what do, what do you mean you haven't played Sulkin? So I just went and bought it just to, you know. And uh, so there wasn't much of a teach because I, I, was, I was the one who had to come up to speed. So I'd, I watched some videos, read the rule book. Um, when we sat down, I asked, you know, okay, what, how do, what, what's the main connection? Where do we need to focus? And they demonstrated that the temple track and the tech track were pivotals. And of course, that cog wheel system is what fuels those two um, uh, meters, I guess. And uh, the, uh, an, the other thing that locked in for me too, when I got into that whole beautiful mind moment, or just completely lucked out, um, is you start off with four different tiles of startup resources and kind of differentiations on the tech track and the temple track. And um, I put myself in a position where I started off with a good jump on one of the tech tracks, and I believe it was uh, purchasing buildings. And um, when I learn, a, when, when it's a first play of a game and, and there's experienced players, uh, my experience as being the rookie is find a combo step on the gas and hang on to the wheel. And that's exactly what I did is uh, I, I leaned heavily into this idea of, of being able to buy buildings um, constantly because right out of the gates, I believe I was getting two victory points per. And by the end of the game, I had 10 buildings and uh, you know, you do the math. Uh, I, I won by 22 points or something like that. So um, yeah, my brain I think that's a Tassini uh, a combo. I, I, I don't have the information in front of me. And there's a lot of people who are yelling at me right now. Um, you know, no diss to the designers. A diss to my preparation on talking about this game. Um, it, yeah, I can see now why a lot of people dial into this game because it is one of those games where you can't, do, you can't have a hiccup. You cannot, you gotta, you've got to be tactical in regards to um, uh, the turn order, because if you're last in turn order, all those spaces get occupied, and uh, you either have to put workers down or pick them up. And if you're putting them down and you don't have corn, maize, maize, wonderful maize, um, uh, is what makes this game work, and uh, which is, again, such thematic connection that the social studies teacher in me is have a big smile on my face of satisfaction. So that being said, Wonderful, wonderful episode. Uh, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to listen to what we have to say. Again, huge thanks to all the content creators who uh, uh, put some, um, some words to audio. I don't know what I'm saying here. But uh, thank you so much for uh, always, always making this happen every week. And uh, that being said, keep your stick on the ice and take care out there, eh? <laughs>